the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. still remains that some will enter the rest 
and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David and was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verses 6 through 11. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm glad you've tuned in today. I have an important message for you. Not an easy message. A message for you, for me, as we walk before the Lord with fear and trembling. Let's pray. Oh Lord, as I come to the scripture today, I know the great need I have in my heart, in my life, to simply rest in you and to trust you. I pray today that you will make plain to us what we are running from and what we are afraid of and that we would confess our sin before you and enter into your rest today in this broadcast. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I began quite a number of years ago reading the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. And when I finished Revelation, I would begin reading all over again. And so for a number of years, I was reading from Genesis to Revelation five or six times a year. As I was reading through the book of Isaiah, a portion of scripture leapt from the page. This was a time when finances were very short, when I had no church. I was simply hidden away with my late wife, reading the scripture and praying and waiting upon the Lord. It's found in Isaiah, the 30th chapter. Isaiah, the 30th chapter. And he begins to speak in verse 16 about those who will flee. And I have to ask you the question, what are you running from? Are you running from anything or anyone? If you're out and about and you see a certain person, do you turn and go the other way? You just not want to face them and deal with whatever they might have to say to you. 
Are you angry with someone and when you see them, you just turn and you go another way? Or when they call you, are there certain phone calls that you refuse to take? Are you afraid of something or someone? What in your life is causing you to flee? I have a number of things in my life right now that are causing me to flee. But I'm not running away from them. I am running to Jesus. I am running to Jesus. In verse 15, this is Isaiah 30, verse 15. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. In other words, hung out to dry. Hung out to dry. These words are so striking to me because I've learned to take the words of Scripture in their most literal form. And I've learned to say, okay, Jesus, what does that mean? And how do I walk that out in my prayer time as I read Scripture before the Lord? I ask, what are you saying to me? How do I walk this out? What's it look like in real life? Well, in repentance and rest is your salvation. It's obvious that Jesus begins everything in the Gospels and taught also his disciples and the Apostle Paul Everything begins with repentance. Any approach to God must begin with repentance. And it must be a complete repentance. It must be a complete unfolding of our hearts before the Almighty God. And part of what he'll begin to do as we unfold our hearts before him in repentance is he'll begin to dig deeper into the motive behind what we are repenting for or repenting of. He wants to know what was the motivation behind your saying that. And frankly, that can be quite embarrassing. Yes, Lord, I should not have said that. I have caused trouble. Oh, what was the motivation behind your saying it? Were you angry with one of them? Were you disappointed? Did you want to injure? What was your motivation behind your action? 
Are you being cynical? I spoke with someone last night, and they were quite angry. I hadn't done anything to make them angry. They were just angry. And they said some very harsh things. I didn't respond with anger or harshness, but with questions. Is that what you really feel? What's causing that? What are you trying to say? And as we talked, and I listened, their heart began to soften. And finally, they let go of their anger. It wasn't about me. It was about them and what they've done and who they are. In repentance, return from that which is sin. But some, and I have also been in this place, had a difficult time determining what was sin. Many years ago, a man said to me, Pastor, you need to repent. And my response to him was, I repented when I was saved. I don't need to repent today. I'm, I've already repented. Well, I could not have been more wrong. I, I had no understanding. I was ignorant of my own spiritual condition. He was absolutely right. I was shallow. I was ambitious. I was angry. I was defensive. I thought I was right and they were wrong. And I was about building my kingdom. I was utterly wrong. I could not have been more sinful in the eyes of my Lord Jesus. As I waited before the Lord, as time passed, the Holy Spirit began to address these issues in my heart. I spent much time before the Lord in, in tears, in repentance, recognizing the utter wickedness of my heart and repenting. Well, what does repent mean? It means to have great sorrow in your heart because you see the harm that you have done and it means harm done not just to others, but also to yourself, to the prison that you find yourself in. And as I was praying about this word today, part of what I heard is that some of you who are listening are in prison. Oh, maybe some of you are in an actual prison, but some of you are in the prison of your own making your own plans, your own ways. You are determined you will succeed even if you die trying. You have, you have created your own prison with bitterness and anger, 
judgments? If you hold judgments against me as Pastor Ray because of what I say on this broadcast, I'll not know about it. But Jesus will know that that anger is in your heart. And he'll know that that judgment, the judgment of being superior or the judgment of being right or the judgment, whatever it is, the Lord will see that judgment in your heart. And you'll be in prison. In repentance, that is, deep feelings of sorrow and turning away from that which you have said and done and even believed. It's starting over. It's turning away. Now, I shared with you yesterday that confession is the first step of repentance where we begin to honestly admit, yes, this is what I have done and this is what I have said and I was wrong and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Some of you have refused to repent. As I was preparing this broadcast last evening I had a great sense in my heart that some of you listening today are quite bitter and angry with life and with God with yourself with your husband, with your wife you're just angry the Lord wants to touch your heart today and he wants to drain that anger And he wants you to repent. Some of you have treated others in a manner that was utterly wrong. You have cut someone off. And you've said, I'm not going to be with that person. I'm not going to speak to that person. I am finished. Or you've been afraid. And because you've been afraid, you've run and you've cut them off the Lord says in repentance and in rest is your salvation well what is this rest business well in the Hebrew the word rest means cessation stopping but the deeper meaning of that is bedroom where you go to sleep. It's a place of rest. It's a place where you stop. It's a place where you lay down. It's a place where you are regenerated, where you are made new. A place where the power of God comes and and charges you with new life in Him, in His Spirit. So Isaiah is saying, look, the first step is to repent to confess your sin, to acknowledge that that sin is very real in your heart. Yes, I did cut that person off. Yes, I did run. Yes, I was afraid. To admit it, 
to take responsibility for the action you have taken of stealing or lying or cheating or fornicating or whatever the dissension or the undercutting, whatever it was, you take full responsibility for it. And as you take full responsibility for your action, you then can begin to repent for that action. And you can begin to receive the forgiveness of the Lord God of heaven. And all through the New Testament, as it speaks of repentance, as it speaks of forgiveness, forgiveness is in the Greek aphemi, meaning to remove. It's not that your sins are just forgiven and left on the book. They're actually removed from you. They're gone. So Isaiah is saying, look, if you're not going to run away, if you're going to face the reality of your situation, the first step in dealing with the reality of your situation is repentance, confession. And then the second step is to enter into the bedroom of God to cease from your own labor, to rest in Him, and to trust that He is going to open before you the windows of heaven, that He is going to open for you a way through that he will carry you, that you are not left on your own. Verse 18 is very encouraging to me. I question the translation of this version. I've looked at some other modern versions, and they, I believe, have a better translation. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, Some translators put it this way, yet the Lord waits to be gracious to you. So what is the Lord waiting for in order to be gracious to you? He's waiting for honest repentance of heart, a turning from sin, an acknowledgement and a responsibility for your life as it is now, whether it's in shambles or whether it's a castle you have been responsible before the living God of heaven for what you have created in the human flesh. Do you remember yesterday I said the greatest problem facing the Christian church in America is that the majority of those who call themselves Christians have never been born from above. They're simply in the church improving their flesh. They're taking courses, workshops, seminars. They're gaining all kinds of insights and understanding and intellectual depth, but they have not joined themselves with Jesus in total surrender. They have never gone through the full repentance for their wickedness. They've said, I repent for my sin. That's nothing before God. That's a big fat zero before God. God doesn't even hear that kind of prayer. 
for God to hear our prayer, we're going to have to say, this is what I've done. This was the result. I'm in trouble. I need you, Lord, to come and wipe away that sin and be specific. Some of you guys need to say, and some of you gals need to say, I cheated on my wife or my husband. Some of you need to say, look, I've been lying at work. Some have said, ask anybody if they have lied, and if they answer no, then say to them, you just lied, because everybody lies. Well, by God's grace, a new creature in Christ does not continue to lie. But it is the very course of the human heart to lie or to cheat. So the first step is an honest recognition of our condition before God. Do you understand? It does not take a great deal of biblical understanding and theological study to be born from above. All it takes to be born from above is a recognition of my sin and a willingness on my part to say, I will leave that sin by the power of the blood of Jesus. I was wrong. This is what I've done. And I repent of that, and I will not go back there by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am forgiven. And you will be forgiven. And you will be changed. The first step is to honestly deal with my sin. The second step is to enter by faith into Jesus Christ. The passage I read in both Hebrews 3 and 4 talks about the unbelief. Because of the unbelief, the children of Israel could not go into the promised land. Well, what was the unbelief? They could see the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. There were miracles happening in the camp. What was their unbelief? Their unbelief was that Jesus would carry them through that wilderness desert and safely deliver them in a promised land. They could not stretch their minds that far. Repentance and rest is your salvation. What we're talking about here is salvation. And it doesn't take a lot of understanding and a lot of knowledge to simply recognize how I have hurt others, how I have been wrong in my approach, how I have said and done things that have been very destructive to my own life, but more so to other people's lives, and especially to my Lord Jesus. And as I acknowledge that, and I repent, I can be brought into the rest of Jesus without all the theological understanding of even what that means. Will you repent 
of all of your sin. Yes, Pastor, I will. Now let's begin. And that person repents. Will you turn aside from all of that and choose not to live in this any longer? Yes, I will. And the Holy Spirit is ready to come into your life. I'll give you a a text for this. I don't want you to think that I'm being shallow. Look at this passage with me. Um, In the book of Acts, you're very familiar with it, but I need to read it to you again. This is found in Acts, the second chapter. This is Pentecost. Verse 38. Peter replied, Repent. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. What is baptism? It is being lowered under the water. Baptizo, to put under the water. It represents dying. It represents death. I have chosen to repent of my sins and to give up my life. And I now will follow Jesus Christ. That's all you need to know. But listen. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness or for the the removal of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you, your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Has God called you? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized in the Spirit? You can't be a follower of Jesus Christ and not be filled by His Spirit. It's by His Spirit that we learn how to walk in the ways of Jesus Christ. It is by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ that we repent and turn from our wickedness and are brought into that place of rest, of cessation from our own labor. You can't be saved by your own effort. You know, you can fix up a house. You can put new siding on it. You can put new windows in it. You can fill it with new furniture. But if the termites have eaten out the main beam under the house, if the termites have got up into that central beam and the roof is about to collapse and the foundation is giving way, it will give way with a mighty crash and the whole house is going to come tumbling down with the new furniture and with all the new siding and with the new windows. It'll all be destroyed. Same is true of your life. There must be a place for the confession of your sin. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. Now please, are you willing to repent? Are you willing to give up all stubbornness of heart? Are you willing to be honest about what you've been running from and what you've been running to? And are you willing to change your direction and begin to honestly search after Jesus with all of your heart? Oh, I know, you've got all kinds of theological understanding. You're sophisticated. You've listened to countless sermons. But have you ever honestly, totally, fully, completely repented before God and said, I will belong to you, Jesus? And then have you taken the necessary actions to rest in him and stop from your own direction and your own agendas, your own plans. How many times I've heard someone say, yes, I've received Jesus, and then they go on their way. I'm born from above, and then they go on their way, and they do what they want to do, not what Jesus calls them to do. They go on their way and they consider their money to be their money, not Jesus' money. But you see, if you become a do-loss slave of Jesus, as I shared yesterday, everything you have, everything you are in charge of now belongs to Jesus, and he's in charge of it. Your children belong to Jesus, not to you. Lay your children on the altar of God. Lay your wife or your husband on the altar of God. Lay your plans, your job, everything goes on the altar before God. And he now directs you. He now says, go here, go there, do this, do that. He orders your steps. Now, it's obvious that you're not going to be able to do this overnight because it's going to take some serious time in the prayer closet. It's going to take some serious time waiting before the Lord and not rushing off in your own agenda and your own plans. Some of you every morning read a devotional where somebody else has written out what the Lord has said to them, but have you ever waited before the Lord to see what he would say to you about that day? where he wants you to go and what he wants you to do. In Acts, the third chapter, verse 19, Repent then, 
Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Times of refreshing come from the Lord. That's what happens when we sleep at night. We receive refreshment. Now, Isaiah says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. What is salvation? To be saved. To be saved from what? To be saved from my sin, from rebellion, from doing it my way. It is doing it Jesus' way, belonging to Jesus Christ. But Isaiah says, but you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. He's saying, if you don't repent and enter into the rest of Jesus, you're going to be terrified. I'm in that place right now. I'm in that place with, I'll be very practical, with this radio broadcast. I know that at the end of this month, I'm going to have to pay WABA for another month of radio airtime. I don't have a means of paying that. How am I going to do that? Almost every penny that has come in already this month for radio has been used to finish paying the month of of January. And now we're coming into the last weeks of, of February. So now I have a choice. Now I can enter into the rest of God, repenting of all fear, repenting of all questions, not saying in my heart, okay, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. No, I'm not responsible for paying that bill at the end of this month. It belongs to Jesus. He sent me. He gives me the word to speak to you day by day. I'm going to trust him. And I know that he'll speak with many of you. And you will give generously because the Lord will direct you. Not me. You won't give to me. You give to Jesus for the work of the gospel. But you see the dilemma I'm in. I could begin to be very fearful. I could be afraid. I could say, look, I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. I can't bear this burden on my heart any longer. Or I can repent of every every stroke, every jab of fear that comes as the devil speaks. And I could say, look, I can't do this. Or I stand by faith in absolute trust and confidence in the living God of heaven and I enter into his rest 
enter into his rest. Now, a man revealed his own heart when he sent me a, a message saying, if your car breaks down, will you pray about it or will you call a mechanic? And he thinks he has a very wise answer. He would make a fool of me. But no, he doesn't make a fool of me. I'll tell you what I have done. Always I have gotten on my face and I have prayed. I have prayed. And I've waited for the Lord's direction. I was in Ohio last week. And I went out and started the car. And the tire warning light went on. I got out of the car, walked around it, looked. All the tires seemed to be okay. So, on the assignment that I had for that day, but I was also praying and saying, Lord, what about this warning light? Tomorrow, I'm going to drive back to Maryland or to Virginia. I have to drive through Pennsylvania drive through Ohio, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and then Virginia. What should I do? I didn't just say, I'll put some air in the tire and it'll get me home. And I didn't say, oh, I've got to find a mechanic. I've got to get to a... No, I prayed. I waited on the Lord for direction. And finally, the Lord directed me in a very specific way. Go to Mr. Tire in Worcester, Ohio. So I went to Mr. Tire. He was a block from where I happened to be. I drove to Mr. Tire. There was no wait. He said, yes, we'll check it. And $16 later, I got my car back and a screw that had some way been picked up by my front tire. And he said, it would have gone flat tonight because as you're driving around on it, it would have kept burrowing deeper and more and more air would have escaped. It was a front right tire. I'm not trying to be somehow naive God usually doesn't repair tires but he will certainly direct us in where to go and when to go to get that tire repaired or to get that machine repaired I could tell you story after story of God's divine guidance I shared with you the story of of pulling up to a store that I hadn't been in for some time. I went in. I walked around. I looked at a few things. And then I went back to my car. And it wouldn't start. The battery was dead. I knew immediately I was in trouble. I was facing in toward a wall. And there were cars on both sides of me. 
how was I going to get this car started? I sat and prayed. And finally, I was prompted to go into the store and ask the cashier if there was someone there who could help me jumpstart my car. And she answered very kindly, I'll be happy to come out and jumpstart your car. And so she walked out with me. And I said, where are you parked? And she said, is that your car? Yes. Well, I'm the car next to it. That wasn't chance. I had parked in this whole large parking lot. I could have been parked anywhere. But I was resting in Jesus. And the car was started. I was able to drive successfully to an auto shop. And there had a new battery installed. When you rest in Jesus, he directs your path. He orders your steps. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. I trust what Jesus is doing in my heart, in my mind, in my spirit, in the church, in this radio broadcast. I am resting in Jesus. Now, he said, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. But the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. And then he says, O people of Zion, you who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. In other words, the Lord allows these things to come into our hearts to teach us, to trust him, to rest in him, to repent of our fear, to repent of our self-held importance, to repent of our ambition, of going our own way, of being in charge of our own life. You cannot be a Christian and be in charge of your own life. The very definition of a Christian is a person who follows Jesus Christ not a person who is followed by Jesus. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Then you will defile your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. You will throw them away like a minstrel cloth and say to them, away with you. The Lord is saying, look, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you walk day by day in absolute confidence and not walk in fear, not run, but walk day by day 
repenting of any mistakes you make, of any sins you commit, and remain in the rest in Jesus with your heart at peace, trusting in him to open the way before him to not let you crash and burn many times the devil has come to me with his wicked words you're going to crash and burn you're a dead man walking you might as well just give up and my answer is never never my eyes are fixed upon Jesus. I will walk in the light of his glory. He is the one my heart loves. He is the one who has captured my soul. I saw a brief piece about a woman in great conditions who was willing to walk out through that dangerous water, some of it seven feet deep to rescue her lambs. And they ask her, why are you risking your life for your, for your livestock? She said, these are my lambs. I will die for my lambs. I smiled. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He died for his lambs. He died for you. He died for me. Will you repent? Will you humble your heart before God? Will you let your cynicism and your anger and your bitterness and your ambition and your dreams, will you let go of your money? Will you let go of your life? And will you utterly cast your life upon Jesus Christ? And will you pray? Will you cry aloud to the Lord, the God of heaven and earth? No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all of its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our heart rejoices, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. In the flesh I have much to fear today. But he has delivered me from all of my fears. And I trust him. Will you join me in that today? Will you
you take a sheet of paper and write down every sin you're aware of in your life, every mistake that you've made in your life. And will you go through those one by one and will you bring them before the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. I renounce this. I won't walk this way again. Will you repent of all those things that could cause fear in your heart? And will you pray and enter into his rest? Almighty God, would you come and minister to the heart of every person listening today? And would you grant them repentance and rest and salvation? In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or you can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. I'm sorry these messages are not being posted now, but there are many other messages you can listen to. And you can go to our YouTube, and this broadcast will be up on the YouTube by this evening. And you can listen to it and watch it. God bless you, my brother, my sister. Let us trust in the name of our God and let's walk by faith. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Through Jesus Christ.